Welcome to episode 8 of the Post Spy podcast and the final episode in season 1. I'm Jack Woodhams, founder of the website and your host. Now before I introduce our guest, I'd like to take a moment to thank all of you who have listened, shared and supported this podcast in any way. The response has been so positive and it's made all the hard work putting this together worth it. So thank you. This episode's guest is illustrator Muragaya, whose abstract and surreal style has taken the print world by storm. Over the past two years, Muragaya has worked with Mondo, Botanet Gallery, New Balance, Empire Magazine, Saatchi and Saatchi, Elton John, Heavy Metal, and the list goes on. I could be here all day. Muragaya is a good friend of mine, so we recorded this season finale in person. Enjoy. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can support us on Patreon from just £2 per month. You'll unlock extended versions of all of our episodes and a whole lot more. Simply head to patreon.com slash posterspy. So this podcast is a bit different from all the others that I've done so far. I'm actually in person for this one. And uh, the reason for that is I came to Muragaya's place yesterday. He did some photos. I uh, took some photos of his canvases, which mm-hmm. was really cool mm-hmm. as well, because you can start selling some prints of canvases you've actually painted. Yes, that's right. So yeah, bit of a different setup. Yeah, we're actually in my living room, which is looks, I mean, looks like an angelic uh place but this is just the front bay window of my living room there's like other stuff this side of the camera (laughs) but um yeah we photographed some of my canvas work and we did a portraiture series jack uh took some photographs of me as for some portraiture series that i'm going to be working on i'm going to illustrate over photography something i want to get into and uh, we also watched goodfellas last night which always gets you in the mood to talk about movies and posters and whatever art and creativity because Scorsese's a master of the craft <laughs> and it is one of my favorite movies i must say yeah which is something new i learned about you so you're a secretly a gangster gangster movie it's the italian part of my uh... i didn't even know you were italian when you were talking yeah. about the the italian kind of tropes in the movie last night and you were talking about your own connections and family jack has mob connections by the way uh, <laughs> i don't have mob connections i'd like to just clarify that no yeah my mum's uh full italian but she was born in england but you know her parents are both italian they came from italy so yeah it's uh little are they thing, little- passionate about italy and the kind of like heritage of your um, background as the characters in scorsese movies are <laughs> um no not really uh i think it's a you know italian americans it's a bit different to to them going over here Um, but there were little things like you said that you can you can watch and you know things about the pasta sauce and the way they cook food and the types of food they eat it's all very similar to what i I grew up with so used to those little things so i can watch that movie obviously i wasn't used to the hits and the murders (laughs) but the the other stuff you know the more general italian stuff right okay sort of connect with you know it's a nice movie (laughs) yeah 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 um I hadn't seen it in a while, but I forgot how influential the film was on so many other artists, like the tracking shots, the main character talking in to the audience, like breaking the fourth wall. Um, yeah, the freeze frames, all of it. Scorsese is so good at what he does. And it's, it's really cool to see his career kind of develop and the more recent films he's done. And, you know, we'll be analyzing those films for years after he's gone and stuff. It was, it's, He's amazing. Well, actually, you, you, you know, mm-hmm. when I was watching yesterday, we both said that the film seems to have held up really well. And we watched it on a, you know, 4K projector and the quality was just so good. And it was almost as if that film was made really quite recently. Obviously, we know that the actors are not that age anymore it's, and it's an old film, but it just played back so well. 
do you feel that kind of applies in any way to your own artwork when you make stuff? Do you kind of think, I want to make something that in 20, 30 years, people will look back on and go, that's still really cool. I do not have that foresight. <laughs> <laughs> I am just making stuff because it's how I feel at the time. Like I'm far more interested in just, you know, making stuff that inspires me in the moment. I'm trying to be a bit more think in the present and be a bit more kind of present in life in general. So that's how I approach my work. So you've actually been a full-time illustrator since 2012 and it was only really until COVID, so it was around 2020, that you started seeing a sort of consistent and frequent workload coming in. Do you feel like you did anything differently during that time to get the jobs that you did? Um, yeah, definitely. I would say in the lead up to 2020, so from when I first started illustrating in 2012 up to that point, I was making work that was somewhat, um, it wasn't very personal. I was kind of picking ideas at random and kind of like, I didn't really have a style. I was, whenever a new film came out, I'd make a kind of fan art poster for it, or I would do some illustrations that were based on kind of random ideas that came into my head. It wasn't really that consistent. And it got me quite down in the lead up to COVID. I didn't really have a sense of unique style. I didn't really know what I was doing with my artwork. And I think a lot of people feel this way. And I actually, I kind of like had a conversation with myself and kind of spoke to myself about what I wanted to do and how I wanted to represent myself and what were the good things about my work up to that point and what was not so good and how could I channel some of the, the better qualities of the work um, into something a little bit more restrained and unique. Um, and for that, for me, that was kind of busier compositions. Um, I, uh, used to be an architect, so I'm quite comfortable in working in kind of complex compositional work. And then it was also the way I used bright, flat colors in the work. I, uh, you know, I seem to have a good sense of that. And then there was a third aspect that was missing. It was that unique standpoint. It was how do you approach the work with something that's uniquely you? Um, so I wanted to talk about my upbringing as a kind of Western born person with, um, South Asian heritage that is very uniquely me. So I can then kind of apply that to the other two things. And yeah, started doing that in 2020. I also happened to coincide with COVID where we weren't getting any work anyway. So I used that time to consistently make a new piece of work still coming up with random ideas, but because I had those restraints on me, the bright colors, the busy compositions, including some South Asian kind of influence, I was able to channel those ideas into something more unique in a consistent way, week by week. Um, and then yeah, I started getting attention for the work. And it took you a long time to get to that point, right? Like you've been experimenting with your style and your look for quite a long time. Yeah, yeah, definitely from 2012 up to now, um, up to 2020, it was, uh, it was a very, I think it all comes with experience. Like you have to test those ideas. You have to iterate in public. You kind of have to like present all of those ideas, um, online and kind of like, maybe not online, but you can do it privately. But if you want people to see it and kind of get attention for it, I suppose you have to kind of present it on your Instagram. You can always delete that stuff later if you don't want it to be, if you doesn't feel consistent, it's what I did. Like as soon as I reached 2020 and started to get some consistency in my work, I went backwards and kind of got rid of all of the old stuff that wasn't 
partly really the reason I kind of changed my name. <laughs> I used to be a, I used to be Sham Muragaya, which is my actual first name, and then I rebranded myself as just Muragaya, so that when you Googled my work, you could just see all of the new stuff. So, yeah, which obviously paid off and has worked out quite well in the end. Yeah, it was uh, still early days. Obviously, everybody in that time during COVID, we didn't know if work was coming back. We didn't know what was going on, but I just needed to use that time in a creative way to distract myself from everything else that was going on. And yeah, slowly I started to get some editorial commissions. I started to get some attention for the personal work I was making. Uh, fellow artists started sharing the work as well, which got the attention of other clients. So yeah, it went really well. And it was also 2020 that you started working with Mondo, which for a lot of artists is like the sort of almost end game, right? You want to work with Mondo, really supposed to have them. It's a very um, prestigious company to work with. And I guess that was a bit of a game changer for you. How did that all come together? Yeah, Mondo. I mean, I'd been, I'd been a fan of Mondo posters for many, many years before that. Um, never did I think I'd be able to work with a company like that. I was the, I, I agree with the other people out there as, as that company and that, you know, doing a project for them being the kind of like holy grail of, 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 uh, poster making and stuff and working in film. But I was making, the reason I got their attention is because I was making consistent personal work with using typography, using composition, and it was all personal work, but they almost looked like personal pieces of work that were poster orientated in the way I was setting them out because I was doing them at 18 by 24, 24 by 36, but they were personal ideas and I was including Tamil typography above and in certain places. So they it looked like a Sri Lankan personal poster almost. And I have to credit Matt Taylor, a Mondo artist and a friend of mine who shared my personal work on his social media and it got the attention of Mondo, the art directors of Mondo. I happened to also be following those art directors as well. I was doing, you know, I was doing my research as to who was behind that company and kind of, and it all happened to coincide with, yeah, Matt sharing the work and me making consistent personal work and Mondo at the time wanting to work with someone more unique. So they reached out to you then? I think what happened was Matt shared the work and they, I reached out to the art, the art director started following me. And then I started messaging the art director saying that, Hey, I'd love to work with you. And they were already on it. They were like, we're on it. We, we've got some ideas planned up. So as a lesson in my book to be a bit more chill because I could have just let, you know, people contact me and stuff, but it's not really how I roll. So. And how did that feel at the time? Because I know that you've always been sort of struggling to navigate the pop culture scene mm, as an artist yeah. who you've always felt like you've been a bit outside of that, uh, especially with your style. So having Mondo come and be like, you know, we've already been thinking about working with you. How did that feel at the time? It felt really good. It felt quite daunting as well because of the, you know, prestigiousness of that company. But um, I, because I had the personal work, because I had a year's worth of personal projects behind me, I had a place to fall back. I had a place to reference from in my own work um, to make the projects more unique. I first got hired to do Clockwork Orange in 2001. And my immediate response was, 
okay, so many artists had already done those two properties. How do you do something different? What do you do to make it different and unique from what you had done before, from what had been done before? So I looked at all of the posters for, let's say, A Clockwork Orange, and most of them were either orange, white, or black. <laughs> so that was an immediate, okay, maybe change the color palette. Avoid those colors. Yes, yeah. avoid those colors. Um, however tempting it might be, like you have to look around at what's already been done to do something different. And then I used my kind of architectural background and knowledge to be like, what? how could I compose this image to feel more unique? And I started with, uh, there's a staircase, there's a, a checkerboard floor and a staircase in the writer's house in Clockwork Orange. I used that as my basis. I was like, all right, let me make that thing, that element, the main central point of the poster. And I don't really sketch beforehand. I basically start building each element on top of one another as I'm working. So started with the staircase and then I needed to frame the poster for the way I had presented this staircase. They, it kind of almost went in an angle of two lines, either side of a central point of the poster. So then I was like, let me carry those lines on to the top. So they join at the top of the poster. Oh, that starts to look like a letter A and that's A for A Clockwork Orange. And it basically it creates a framework within that poster and you slowly build and build and build and you start seeing patterns and shapes and connections between each element. It's a really fun way of working because you don't know what you're going to get at the end of it. <laughs> and when you do these pieces, do you tend to use a lot of reference imagery to sort of build up, like you said? I tend to build up a framework and a construction that doesn't have any reference to the film at all. And then I start to incorporate some film references in there because that's another way to make it more unique i think it's to if you are going to reference the film in so many ways you don't need to make that the main focus of the poster the, the main elements so you can build something around those elements which is much more unique um based around your own personal ideas and how you want to structure the poster i almost feel though that your style is so unique that you, because you mentioned not using the colors that people have already used before because it sets your work apart. But I almost feel that even if you did use those colors that were so prominent in existing works, your work would still stand out because of the style. Well, that's an interesting one because later in my um, uh, Mondo commissioning um, history, they actually asked me to do Wes Anderson's Grand Budapest Hotel. And I did use the color palette from that film. And I think it's one of my weakest because I paid too much ref reverence to the film. I used the color palette because his style is so strong and his kind of, his reference point is so strong. It's so like identifiable. Um, but at the same time, it's okay to do that. You know, like, yeah, like you just said, like, I think it still does what my posters do, which is kind of tell a story around a kind of framework and like, have more interesting things to look at as you kind of delve deeper into the poster. I might have another go at that one and it will be very different. <laughs> Do like a, a completely different color variant. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. with that movie, you know, that pink color is very, it's the color everyone associates with it's the very film. Very identifiable. So yes. using that as much as maybe you feel like it's your weakest piece. Mm. I think for fans that like the film would be like, this is great. It, it gives me those vibes of the movie, the tones used in the movie. So I think, you know, 
there's there's upsides and downsides, I suppose, to one doing something which kind of goes against what you want to do. But if it's for the appeal of fans, it, it kind of feels like it's worth doing, you know? I have to be a bit, I hope I'm not being too disrespectful to the fans, but my approach is not really to think about the fans. It's to satisfy my own uh, interests and needs in wanting to see a piece of artwork for that film. I think uh, if I were to have another go at that film, there'd be for a new poster design, there might be less people that is that are into that specific poster that I design, but those people would love it and really be feel passionate about it. And you know, my style may may feel quite unique to some people, but it's actually a reference point back to the nineteen sixties. Um, lots of illustrators and graphic designers from that time period. And the the reason that part of history in post design was so interesting to me is because those artists were pushing weird boundaries. Half of them were all on drugs as well. So it's like, <laughs> but they were definitely like doing something different. They weren't, it felt like they, if you look at Polish posters, like um, they, they didn't have references to use. They were trying out very strange ideas. And, uh, and I, I don't see any issue with doing that today, you know. Um, well, I think it's important to, you know, if you do, because one issue with film posters as a whole, in my opinion, is that if you are relying a lot on reference and you're using imagery that, you know, is used a lot, then you run the risk of your work being like someone else's. And, you know, I've, I've mentioned this in the previous podcast, when a big movie comes out, like a Spider-Man movie or a big Marvel movie, let's say, they'll, they'll always release like teaser images and stuff like that. And then suddenly you'll just see like thousands of fan posters or, you know, images and edits and whatever that all use the same image. So those artists end up becoming sort of uh, pulled into one. You don't see a uniqueness to the artwork. It just becomes, oh, that's just another Spider-Man poster that, where they've yeah. used that image, you know? Whereas with your work, obviously, it's very different. So not only do you set yourself apart in that sense, but you've also got like a whole other layer to the to the uniqueness, you know, where you bring in your own style to the work. Yeah. This is an alternative poster scene. It's not a key art or a main art or a main poster scene. Obviously in history, the posters were used to sell the film and they were more unique because they were able to be more unique. Whereas sadly, the po film marketing has relied more on the actors, photographs of the actors. And we all know that if you're listening to this podcast, you know, you should know the history of film posters and kind of understand why it's changed and how it's changed. But we're making alternative pieces of artwork. We're not making them, you know, for the marketing agencies. And if we were, hopefully we'd be approached to make them for different reasons. You know, the artwork should be unique in that way, but yeah, you should be, a, you should allow yourself to be a bit more creative and have a bit more fun with doing funky ideas, you know? Well, Nuno, who was on the last podcast, he does a lot of photographic based, you know, key art designs. And the thing I sort of love about his work is the fact that you don't see the images he's used across loads of other posters and part of that is that he will use you know um hot toys models for example to get a different perspective and to get a different angle on how a character might look mm -hmm. compared to the stills we see for the actual movie or he may you know reference a completely different character you know photoshop heads around and change things and I think if you are going to be using references, because obviously, although this is an alternative scene, there will be artists who, you know, they might not be illustrators. They, they prefer just using graphic design methods. Mm -hmm. And the one thing they should always do is, like you said, 
put your own vision into it and not just use uh you know a, a still and then maybe add some effects to it it needs to be unique you yeah because also if you think about it that's essentially what the art world even is you as an artist it's your the what you make is your interpretation of the way you see the world the way you see what you want to see your artwork everything you know colors you like to use line work whatever it is it's your thing but if your work is just entirely you know copy and paste of stills or whatever i think you're always going to feel at a bit of a dead end yeah i th i agree with you a lot i think there's if if you are kind of in this industry and you're trying to break out and do some different things i think it's sensible to to do the research around the other things that have been made by other artists or for a particular film that you're making a poster for and actually actively try and avoid anything that's done before. And then in doing that alone, you will create something quite unique and different. Yeah. And I think, you know, using actually a, a big popular artist, someone that does a lot of uh, photo manipulations and bashing and stuff like Boss Logic is a great example. So although a lot of his work relies on reference, what he actually does with that is he will create something entirely new, whether or not it's a, a different actor playing a, you know, a character that we're familiar with that people want to see as fan castings or something like that. But what he's using is images without just relying on the original, you know, he's, he's messing with stuff. He's creating something unique from what does exist yeah. rather than just repurposing what does exist in a different way. Well, the great thing about Bass is that he's really passionate about the thing, the subject matter that he makes art for. Which I think you can see like across. Yeah. Himself. I had a chance to chat with him at New York Comic Con last year. And he, he and I were chatting about, um, things that were potentially going to happen in the Marvel universe, the same way that like any fan would be like, Oh, who's going to be cast as a fantastic four. I don't know. That's going to be amazing. Like that, that kind of stuff. He's a true fan and he's really passionate about it. And I think if you're, pa if you're, if you truly are passionate about the thing that you make, you will make good art as well. So it's, yeah, I love his work. He's really cool. So your work has been noticed a lot as well recently by public figures, some celebrities even, right? Who've seen your work on the internet, filmmakers, screenwriters as well. That can be not only exciting, but also very intimidating, I think, for artists because mm. a lot of people making artwork, you know, it's like their door into the industry without actually really being in the industry, if that makes sense. Like people make fan posters because they love movies, mm -hmm. but they don't ever really expect the filmmakers to see it or to respond to it. So how have you handled that when, you know, filmmakers and, and have actually seen your work and shared it or even messaged you or anything like that? Not very well. <laughs> I, um, I love kind of the industry so much. I like, I watch so many kind of behind the scenes interviews and footage and round table discussions. Like I love it all. So I do, I get a bit nervous when somebody's contacted me and wants to work with me or like just showing an interest. But I have to remember that these are all human beings as well. Everybody's should be on the same level as you are. You're just chatting to another human being about something cool. So uh, over the last few years in in that happening to me, I've I've tried to kind of be a bit more chilled out about how I respond to some of these people and just be like, thanks so much. You know, that's really cool. Thank you for liking the work and, and move on from there. Um, I did have an opportunity to meet um and be invited by the directors of everything everywhere all at once to a special screening hosted by edgar wright 
And that was really cool. That was a very, that was, I think that was the moment where I was like, hey, maybe just like calm down a bit. And like, you're in a room full of all these people. It might be sensible to just be a bit more like uh, chilled out. I spent- Not fanboy too much. Not yeah. fanboy too much. Exactly. Yeah. I spent the most of the evening chatting to one of my friends who's a marketing director at Picture House, chatting to Colin Trevorrow, the director of the Jurassic World series. And I was just like, I'm just going to sit here and listen to this conversation rather than try and, you know, input my own kind of like poor takes on, on the film industry, because these two people are very knowledgeable and I'm just here to kind of learn these things. And if I get asked a question, great, but you know, um, I'll just enjoy being here. I think that's another thing, like learning to be a bit more present in your life is probably something that might help in that department. I think what you said as well about um, understanding that it's just another person yeah. is really important as well. So through Post Spy as well, I've had the same sort of experiences, you know, actors, whatever, filmmakers will follow you. And I think when I first started Post Spy, I was very much like, whoa, that's so cool. Because I, I went to uni to do film. Like that's really what I would love to do, you know, film stuff. And when that started happening, it did, I, I must admit, I was a bit fanboy, right? Mm. But now I've gotten to the point how you said to be, you know, I know now that, well, they're following me for a reason. Yeah. They like this stuff just as much as I do. Mm -hmm. That's cool. So instead of being like amazed they're followed, it's more of like a a, a mutual uh, respect for each other, you know, because yeah. they yeah. clearly like what you've been posting. You obviously are a fan of them or at least know of them. So I think, you know, play it cool. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I will, um, I will try and understand why... I'm so fanboy with my therapist, you know, that's <laughs> <laughs> that kind of like sense of self The it's the reason you want, you put thing, people on a pedestal. Well, I stuff. think it's, it's because all... that industry does feel quite walled off. Mm. So yeah, well, any big industry feels a bit walled off. So once you start to get like some notice or people start to pay attention to you who you never expected, mm -hmm. there always will be that like, oh, this is quite cool. How do I, and, and people don't know how to respond to it because we, throughout our lives, we're almost taught that these people in the film industry or, you know, whatever else are almost on a different level. You know, they're almost like untouchable yeah. unless you know them or unless you, you're somehow in that circle, you know? Well, I'm still that small child wanting people to like me. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so my first reaction to anyone who follows me is like, thanks so much. Let me send you something. Or do you want to buy a print? Like I, mm. you know, and, uh, I should probably be a bit more like, cheers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that comes from building a sense of self, building some self-confidence in, in you and your work. Like, um, I get so many nice comments from various people being like, this work is so cool. Like, you know, it's really, really good. And in my head, I'm like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still not convinced myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I'll explore that with my therapist, not with, uh, <laughs> with you not on the podcast, <laughs> <laughs> as you're not a trained professional. Maybe you could that go into true. some therapy training and then we, you can actually like offer some therapeutic advice as well. I probably need some myself <laughs> as well. Mate. Um, so, you know, we've mentioned your work progressing a lot over the last couple of years, gaining a lot of popularity. Do you have any kind of like daily routine that you go through to sort of get yourself in the mindset for making the artwork? Yeah, I actually had to rethink this recently as a New Year's resolution for 2023 because when I first started in 2020, I had the ability to make consistent personal work without the kind of responsibilities of taking on professional commercial paid work. So I was able to build this really big portfolio of personal ideas. 
And then since I started getting hired for more jobs, the personal projects kind of slowed down a little bit and I started to lose a bit more of my identity because I was making work for other people, not for myself. So as a result, I have rescheduled my routine and my routine now is to, when I wake up a couple of hours before the normal working day starts, which is nine to five, right? So I wake up at like seven and for the first two hours of every morning, I'm working on some personal abstract sketchbook work. I'm just playing with shapes and color and texture in my sketchbook. And that's a really good way to kind of like just clear your mind a little bit. And then nine to five, I'm working on whatever commercial project I'm being paid to do that week. Uh, it might be a film poster, it might be a brand collaboration or a mural design or whatever, but I'm only doing that from Monday to Thursday um, because that work is the stuff that pays, the stuff that like allows me to earn a living. And then on Friday, all day, I'm working on my next personal project, a painting, a canvas, a print design, whatever, for myself that I can either sell to my fans and customers or um, exhibit or whatever. It's the it's that thing I was doing during COVID, the personal project a week, but I'm only allowing, at the moment, I can only allow myself a day per week to do it. And then at least that way, you're consistently working on something. You're not putting it off. You're not being like, oh, once I've finished that set of film posters, I'll then do my personal project. No, no, you're, you're dedicating a specific day, um, not answering any emails like, today's the day to do personal work. And then that way, by the end of the year, I will at least have five or six paintings that I've worked on that, you know, I've got, I've made consistently. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with that way of splitting up the week yeah. because for example, you know, I do, I do YouTube channel, which you know of, I do like photography videos and things like that as well on the side. And I have to physically set a day aside. Yeah, I can't just say, oh, I'll do posts by a week and then I'll do some videos in the evening or whatever because I just don't have the energy for it. Yeah. You need to have that separate day where you say, all right, nothing today other than this. Because otherwise, you like you said, you do end up becoming caught up in one thing mm -hmm. and you'll never finish the project you want to do. You'll never get it done. Yeah. Even, I mean, it's like going to the gym as well. You just put off oh, I'm going to start a new gym routine, but I won't start it until January 2023. Yeah, yeah. I started my new gym routine in December 22 because I knew that I if would it allow like a resolution, it to... Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, nah. exactly. Yeah. You don't want to put things <laughs> off. But recently, it's already affecting me recently because the Friday just gone, I have a deadline for the following Monday. But So I could be working on that deadline project on the Friday that I'm meant to be doing personal work. But what I have learned over the years is that deadlines can always be pushed. So <laughs> I was like, no, stay consistent with this routine and work on the personal project. And the ultimate goal with this is to eventually shift the balance of um, personal to professional commercial work. At the moment, it's 90% commercial work to 10% personal work. And I want to shift it so that I'm making personal paintings and, and projects. And eventually, I think there'll be a merging of the work where whatever I'm doing professionally is so personal that it will feel like a hobby, you know, you know, whatever. You never work a day in your life type of thing if you're a 
creative. Well, I feel like even over the last few years, you've managed to balance that really well. Like you've done a lot of personal pieces that have come out in between, you know, the commercial stuff without it being too... For example, if I go on your Instagram, I don't feel like you've done way too much commercial stuff and no personal stuff. You have done a lot of personal pieces. It's a way of um, presentation as well, right? You don't want to... I don't want to be posting... Uh, film poster after film poster after film poster after brand collaboration. I want to be able to consistently present a wide range of stuff because I want to make a wide range of stuff, you know? So it's how you can, you can choose how you want to present this stuff. Uh, The whole curated Instagram page thing is it, is that it happens. People do it all the time. Like, so, you know, own it. And, you know, I'm not going to be post, I'm just going to post a sketchbook page today because even if it doesn't do well, this is the thing. I don't really look at the engagement or like, because I'm so comfortable in wanting to do this thing for myself before anybody else, then I don't really care how it does online. Like I did a sketchbook page in 2020 that was a bunch of abstract shapes and the, the clothing brand Lucy and Yak a few weeks later was like, can we use this on a t-shirt design? I was like, yeah, go for it. So it's very much a, obviously they paid me and, you know, it was a professional collaboration, but like, yeah, just have it. Here. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very much like, if I hadn't have done that abstract sketchbook work, it wouldn't have generated that potential job. So it's have a bit more playfulness with what you do, I think is, helps a lot. Yeah. And I think that, you know, for a lot of clients, if you do see an artist that is just constantly doing commercial work and never any personal work, it can sometimes be hard to pick out where they might fit in for you, you know, especially if there's a very particular commercial aspect that working in, you know, I think a lot of clients might be like, Hmm, I've not seen them really do anything in this realm. So I think it's always worth, you know, pushing yourself a little bit and trying what is a bit outside of what you usually do. You know, I would say, um, it's all based on this is all this advice is all based on my own personal interests and how I want to pursue a career because there are some artists out there that only do professional commercial work and they're great at it and they've got like a big following and they're doing really well at what they do but they look for differences and applying different techniques within that realm so I think it's entirely based on how you want to do it, but I would strongly advise finding more of a unique voice before you go into any of this stuff, like finding, and the, and from experience, the only way to do that is to make personal work because it's personal, it's unique to you, so. And you've mentioned having this time where you can do some of that and, you know, splitting your week up, but there must be times where, you know, you get to the computer and you're like, I've just got no ideas. I got, I don't know what to do stuck. You know, I don't know what to really draw. You don't have any inspiration. So what do you do on those days where you really struggle to come up with ideas? Assuming there are some. (laughs) (laughs) There's always in my head and in my notebook, there's always like, I've got, a very loose idea about what I want to do next. So I've got three personal painting ideas. So just written down as a title or even as a, as a rough description of what I'd like to make. So I can always go look back to the notebook and it's the same with film posters. Like there's, if I've been commissioned for a film poster and the deadline is not immediate, 
I'll sketch the film poster in my sketchbook and just let it sit there for a while and like let the ideas kind of ruminate and add to them and stuff. So there is a little bit of a, oh, you refer back to your sketchbook and your notebook about what, what your ideas are, even if you're jotting down a little word for a personal idea painting or something. So, um, if I'm running out of ideas or if I'm like, they're always in the sketchbook ahead of time, I've going, I can look at a couple of ideas and be like, all right, I've got this personal painting about me being bullied when I was a kid, <laughs> which I got a glimpse of yesterday. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe I'll work piece. on that. It's yeah, sad piece, sad piece. This is the whole thing about, so in 2020, when I started this work, the personal ideas were still quite loose and like not the actual content, not the style, but the actual subject matter. It didn't, it wasn't that resonant with like a story. Whereas now I'm like, I'm spending more time on storytelling. I'm like, how can I actually tell a story within each piece? So the personal paintings might take a bit longer, but they'll be, I think they'll be more uh, resonant with people that look at them. And like the feedback I get from a lot of people about my personal work is it's quite joyful and it's quite colorful, but I would want to know more. I would like, what else do you think about this beyond those kind of surface level responses? Like what are the meanings you can see in there? And I don't want to give them those meanings. I want people to figure them out themselves. And yeah, so that's, that's a development, right? That's how you develop further if you want in your personal work. But do you want people to sort of critique your art like that to try and find meaning? Because sometimes you do just make things because you want to make something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, throughout history, we've seen art uh, schools, you know, taking apart pieces of work and saying, well, I bet this guy did this because of this and I bet it means this and it probably never did. Yeah. So would you actually <laughs> want to encourage that? Or do you feel like... You know, it's more like a, you'll put a piece out there and if people want to, you know, they will. Yeah, very much the latter. Like I will have my own ideas about the work and what I intend to do, but I may not necessarily tell people about them unless they ask, or maybe it's all within the title and, and maybe it's something quite abstract and, you know, but I will always, I need to have the meaning and the kind of like reason or even just the feeling if it's something more abstract like in my head at the time and then i can always refer back to it um, if i'm being asked about it um but i do think yeah i agree with you i think there's some art out there which is just for to experience and you can put your own thoughts and feelings on it as well so it's the reason i do abstract sketchbook work in the morning it's like there's no real reason behind any of that stuff that's just experimentation someone will find a reason yeah i'll open your sketchbook exactly. in 100 years and be like i bet he was thinking about this right? <laughs> and really you're just not <laughs> well it's so funny because like there's so many like film directors that i follow and work that of theirs that i follow where they're still thinking about the meaning behind the films they were making much you know many years after they've made it and be like what the hell was i doing there you know i don't know but i was having a feeling during the time but after the fact it might bring on a completely different meaning because of what i was going through at that time on a much wider context so yeah yeah i have a lot of memories of that so when i did film at uni most of our days were spent watching movies and then coming up with some you know reason for it and right. I found that really a strange experience because 
I always used to be the kind of person that would just think, I bet they never, that, 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 that filmmaker <laughs> never thought about that ever. What is this spin that you've put on this? Because then, you know, you'd go off and you'd research it. Like, okay, you know, in this lesson, I was taught that Hitchcock thought about this when he did this. And then you go and research it. He never said it. Right, so right. where did they get this from? You know, it's such an interesting thing, but it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that filmmakers will look back on their work yeah. and be like, well, I must've been thinking this then, or I was going through this thing then. So maybe that's how that it fed how in. It was, yeah. So it's almost like that is more of a personal contemplation rather than a mm -hmm. uh rather than it being an audience reviewing it and saying it must have been this must have been that i think it's a very personal thing what are we talking about that's exactly why it's so much fun to make personal work because you're basically channeling something that's going on inside of you and you may not really understand what it is at the time and it's a re it's really good therapy because you can basically look back and be like oh maybe i was going through this at that time and you know well that's kind of what we said right at the beginning of the podcast about artwork in itself should be about what you see and how mm -hmm. you feel yeah. and how that all contributes to what you kind of put out there, you know? Yeah. And it's really hard to do that with a film poster. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Cause you are very much reliant on the media, yeah. on, on the sort of imagery that's already been put out there, color palettes, et cetera, et cetera. That's, you kind of stick to a look, right? Yeah. And that's where you rely on trying to do something different to what you've seen before or you try and experiment in a non-personal way but it's like you're just trying to play with the form isn't there a there's a quote in the new babylon movie trailer where brad pitt's like you know what we need to do we need to change the form and i was like that's so true and like and he was talking about the birth of hollywood in the 20s right i haven't seen the film yet but like yeah i'm pretty sure he was talking about the change in hollywood filmmaking at the time and that's what a lot of creatives do they're trying to change what has already been done before and trying to do something different. Um, yeah. While relying on the past as well. Such a comp art is so complicated. For better or for worse, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's kind of like finding that way to represent something, which is interesting because that's actually something I faced when I do a lot of the, you know, the briefs for posts by was that you would do a, a brief and you get some entries put in. And sometimes the posters would never represent the film. And I always feel like, that is also a risk with alternative movie posters and the whole scene around it. Because if you are someone who does not understand the film, or maybe you do understand the film, but you do want to just show it in a completely different way, because the film is owned by a big company, you know, and it's created by a filmmaker who obviously has their own vision, sometimes you run the risk of it being so off, you know, to what they wanted or what they see it as. And sometimes, you know, film studios do actually reject the alternative poster scene because mm -hmm. it's almost like a misrepresentation of their product. Yeah. Have you ever experienced anything like that with your art being that the style is so different? I haven't uh, experienced it from the studio, but I've definitely made posters in the past or this is before I kind of channeled this newer style that I've been working in. But I definitely represented films because I'd watched the trailer and not seen the full film yet and made a poster for it. Like I did a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood poster that was like swinging 60s, all acid colors and flowers because I'd seen the trailer and I'd you know, I, I seen that it had been set at that time. The film is about something completely different. Yeah, it is nothing like that. Yeah, And it's like a lesson in like, don't make a poster just to, for the clicks and the likes and the attention that it's getting at the time. Like if you're commissioned to do something do the research, watch the film, get into it, understand it from a more unique perspective and put your spin on, on the entire story in the film. 
obviously that sometimes that can't be done if you're like being commissioned to make something before it's come out for the marketing or whatever but learn as much about the film as possible before making something well i do think that's good advice i've seen obviously through running posters by people as soon as a trailer is released will make a poster because it because obviously they're hyped about it and there's nothing wrong with it you can do that if you want to but i do agree that the best pieces come when the person making the poster has seen the film and a really good example of this is remember when inception came out mm-hmm. yeah and the film posters probably by the very beginning when people just saw the trailer it would have been quite generic mm-hmm. But you notice when the film came out, everyone started using the little totem thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was like the iconic thing from the movie, right? Because it meant such, it meant so much to people who had actually seen the film. So once, you know, the film had come out and people had seen it, you started seeing a lot more posters utilizing that and actually using it to actually make the poster. And I think that's a great example of once you've seen the film, you can play around with an aspect of it that will really resonate with people. If you've not seen the film, you run the risk of it just being a generic piece. Yeah, I mean, even there are some there are some small occasions where small amount of occasions where a piece of marketing, an official piece of marketing has been made for a film where the marketing agencies they know a lot about the film, but they haven't seen the final cut of the film and they're making a, an image based on on all they know. But most of the time, the people who are making any kind of marketing for a film have seen most of it. They, they've spoken to the the director has given their input on what this film is going to be like. So I don't, yeah, I'm not really too sure I understand why people who haven't seen any of it attempt to make something because that, sadly it's for, they're trying to, trying to get attention online because it's the the hype at, at the time, the hashtags of the, of the film at the time. And it's like... I, d- I d- never really saw it that way. I mean, I did clearly in my previous style, I saw it that way and I wanted to do things at the time, but ultimately I realized that I was making the wrong kind of art and it wasn't really resonating with anybody. So, Well, also I, yeah. another thing worth mentioning is that a lot of uh, marketing companies will market a movie incorrectly mm. to gauge a certain audience. Yeah. So I can't remember what film it was, but it was a really big movie. And it ended up getting panned when it came out because all of the marketing and the trailers sold it as like a horror or a comedy or it was one of that. Right. And then when the film came out, it was like completely the opposite. I can't remember what film it was. You Um, might remember this happening. Which would you... I don't remember the film, but I do remember it so vividly, the actual It wasn't Mother, was it? It might have been. Yes, actually, it might have been. It might have been. Because it was sort of sold as this really serious movie, but actually it's almost so... Well, the trailers for that film, I love that film, by the way. A lot of yeah, people do No, I really like love that film. film. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, the trailers for that film made it out to be a horror movie. That's it, yeah. They were like it, it is that. Yeah, it screeching, yeah. there was quick cutting, and there was lots of like... Oh, but, yes, and it was because the studio really just didn't know how, didn't know to, how to market it. Because yeah. <laughs> it was such an odd film, which yeah. I agree, by the way, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. But because it didn't really fit into any specific genre, the marketing studio was just like, uh, I guess we just make the trailer look like a horror movie. Yeah. And then loads of people went and went, you know, this isn't this a horror. horror this movie. is like really abstract, weird, yeah. almost even some, even some bits are like comedic. They're quite funny. It's almost yeah. weird. It's like a, watching a play. Yeah. You know, it's a really interesting movie like though. Play, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's lots of, um, re- this is the other thing. I don't think, I'm not sure if Aronofsky has been very specific about what that film means. He suggested some things, but like, there's obviously there's obvious references to uh, the Bible and the Adam and Eve story and all that stuff, and there's Mother Nature, and then there's also the idea of celebrity. There's all sorts of meanings behind that film, which is 
why it's really cool and fun um, to kind of analyze it and stuff. But yeah, if you're a marketing agency being given that job, it would be quite difficult to, I would have marketed it as like a tour de force mother nature thing, you know, yeah. Jennifer Lawrence's mother nature. And she's like angry at the world and shit, but then you also don't want to give away too much, too much of it. Yeah. It's a difficult thing. Film mm. marketing is tough. My um, reaction was kind of the opposite of all the people who didn't like it. Cause I went into watching that movie with a certain expectation of, the, you know, the genre and stuff. And almost because it completely subverted how I expected it to be. Mm -hmm. That's actually why I liked it. Yeah. I was like, I did not expect that. That was such a, yeah, I remember yeah. my reaction to that movie, man. It was like, <laughs> so, I, yeah, I just couldn't believe what I'd seen. Yeah. But I, I was like, this is, in a way, you know, when you watch something and you're like, this is cinema. Yeah. This is someone who has gone, <laughs> the I'm going to, yeah, yeah, this, yeah, is, this cinema. is cinema. Because <laughs> it is, I mean, to take a medium and really just play with it, put this crazy scene in there, you know, this, these, these actors that you just don't know what's going on. It's just so, and that is what cinema is, I think, you know? Yeah. I um, Playing with the form, playing with the medium. Just, yeah, having fun with it. I have a group of friends who we share a WhatsApp group and it's a cinema-based WhatsApp group where we all organize a cinema trip together. And I remember going to see Mother with them and me and maybe one other person being the only ones that liked it and everyone else was like, that was awful. Really? <laughs> and I, I sat there like, it was like being on a roller coaster. It was an experience, right? It yeah, was, yeah, yeah. You just went through it and yeah, that's how I enjoy film and yeah. As an outsider looking at your art, you have a lot of, you know, I would say out there ideas in terms of what you present, but how do you approach a new project then in terms of your concepts and your inspiration? Because clearly, you know, these ideas have to come from somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, similar to what we were talking about before, which is trying to do something different, trying to like, um, look into a different way of representing a film or a project or whatever. I'm always looking for reference points that don't sit within the kind of normal confines of what we do. So I'm like I'm looking at architectural references for, for, um, compositional techniques. I'm looking at graphic design and from the sixties for kind of like typography and stuff like, um, looking at patterns in nature, looking at like, representations of cultures in different parts of the world for for a spider-man poster do you know what i mean it doesn't necessarily matter where you'll get you have to get them from very different places to make something feel different um don't be afraid to kind of cast your net quite wide for your reference points and how important do you feel sort of like mood morning and getting resources is for your artwork pretty important because I am always thinking about compositional elements, typographical elements to represent the film in a different way. Um, so I do collect a, a shit ton of like imagery to help me like develop a new idea for a poster or for a composition for a project. I do think as well, you know, the more I interview artists and have spoke to artists who are you know, doing pretty well, it seems to be that pretty well the majority of, yeah pretty well you're not doing that well pretty well no no you know what i mean um the majority of those artists are mood boarding they are finding references they are not just relying on their own you know creativity because i think to put it simply everyone is limited to a mm. certain degree you know there's no one on planet earth that's experienced everything in life so if you want to be creating something which almost encompasses so much stuff 
They need to learn. It's like uh, the Stephen King quote, right? You need to, no writer should be writing if they don't read or something like that. It's, it, I mean, that's totally paraphrasing it. But literally, he said, literally, even though paraphrased. No, no, you know what I mean? He said something like, you know, if you don't read, you have no business writing, something like that. And I think it's the same for artwork. If you don't go and research art, if you don't actually take it in and absorb everything that's already been done, how can you, you know, we're not born with all these ideas. I mean, maybe some, you know, very few people have like the genius in them to come up with this so much random stuff. But I think for the majority of people, there is a limit, right? Everybody who's good at art consumes it themselves. Yeah, they, I would say they all kind of like, they're constantly taking in artwork and exhibitions and history and film and culture and music. Like they're, they're consuming all this stuff to then recontextualize it for their own art. Like, yeah. It's like Tarantino, right? Didn't he literally have a break? He had he had a break where he spent like 10 years or something just watching movies. Well, something he, like that before he made one Pulp Fiction. It was, one, it was some, some kind of story like that. He spent a very long time, or maybe just like two years, but he'd watch a film like every single day, take all of this stuff in. And that's where obviously, you know, a lot of his, his films have sort of callbacks to, you know, cinema in different ways. And I think, you know, that's important, isn't it, to do that? Yeah, well, him and Roger Avery... Him and Roger Avery ran a video archive, a video store called Video Archives yeah, for yeah, 10 yeah. years. So they were watching movies all day, every day, which is why Tarantino's work is so referential of film, of, of film history. Um, it's because he was consuming film for so long. And there's a, uh, there's a really interesting way of like, you can consume all the art and just, it's how you recontextualize it for your own kind of representation of what you do. So it's, it's kind of what we said at the beginning of the podcast, right? About yeah. Goodfellas. So yeah. there's so much used in that movie that when you watch it now, you're like, oh, I recognize that from this film that we've watched quite recently. And then you start to realize that modern filmmakers have gone back. They've watched things that influence them and it kind of feeds into their own stuff. And in the same way, I think that's just something everyone has to be doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You in know? Goodfellas, the uh, paranoid scene at the end mm -hmm. where he's con uh, where Ray Liotta's character feels like he's being watched by a helicopter. That scene is the entirety of Uncut Gems or Good Time by the Safdie Brothers. You know, that it's, it's them clearly being influenced by that scene and just being like, we could make a whole movie out of this, you know. I would guess, I don't know for sure, but... Um, yeah, very influential. So I've mentioned a lot of your print work, stuff for Mondo, your own personal work as well. But recently you were commissioned by New Balance for some t-shirt designs, which is, you know, completely different to what you typically do. How do you navigate working in those different industries? Well, I have always wanted to do as many different things as possible. Like I've never been too reliant on one or wanting to be too reliant on one industry because I think it's more interesting to me to like do some other stuff to work with a clothing collaboration or to design a mural or make a sculpture because ultimately the things you do outside of one industry influence that one so again it's what i've been saying consistently which is like casting your net wide for influences the same goes with how you make art and who you make art for so um how did i navigate the new balance job the way I got it was somewhat poster related. <laughs> I had worked with Bottleneck Gallery on a Grateful Dead print, which I had so much fun with. And um, they're really cool. They like allowed me to just be go wild with that. It was really suited to my style as well. 
And I happened to be following an art director from New Balance and I had seen that he had posted some Grateful Dead stuff. And I was like, oh, I've made a Grateful Dead poster. What do you think? Do you like it? And, you know, I sent him one and then I was like, oh, if you ever wanted to work together on a New Balance collaboration, let me know. And his immediate response, which is quite typical in the industry, which is like, oh, we'll put you on file. We'll let you know, you know, if something comes up. And I was like, okay, great. I've um, wasted my time here a little bit. A week later, which was very unexpected, he was like, hey, do you want to work on a project together? So building that connection and like realizing that he liked Grateful Dead and wanting to chat to him about it, it wasn't so much a, I went straight in with a, hey, I want to work with you. I don't know what about, but let's just work together. It was more, oh, you like the Grateful Dead. I like the Grateful Dead. We should talk about it. And then I asked him a question. So of working, of working together. Um, but he... So when he came back with a project, he had written a brief that was suited to my style. He had actually researched my work and kind of like wanted to make a collaboration around, you know, um, psychedelic 60s kind of artwork. He, he saw a lot of my reference points and things and they catered the brief for me. So some collaborators kind of work in that way. Um, how I navigated that is somewhat similar to other projects you put together a mood board you put together sketches and you kind of send them off and see the only downside to working in fashion is that it's got like it doesn't get released until like a year and a half later mm. so patience you sit on it for a long time kind of anticipating its release right that's why i left architecture because projects took too long but um, they take too long to build those things yeah. <laughs> um but i really enjoy i've been really enjoying kind of uh branching out into other industries as well like i've i've done a few murals based on my kind of personal artworks i'm hopefully going to be working on a public realm kind of sculpture which is you know you could interact with on a human scale um and then i'm releasing a toy like an art toy slash sculpture thing at some point this year what else i would really i think the thing i'd really like to get into is somewhat bring my architectural background in and start working in public realm art um large scale kind of like sculptural work or you know uh murals that are kind of like the size of buildings that kind of thing um just to kind of have a new experience in in understanding the artwork and kind of you know experiencing it on a much different scale so yeah big ideas <laughs> it sounds like you do have a lot of ideas is there anything you know you, you've kind of gone through things you have worked on and it's it's a lot you know you've done a lot of different things is there anything in particular you really do want to do i would say the next big thing i'd really like to do is a public realm sculpture i think because i sort of like your priority that's uh yeah 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 it's it's because i've of my architectural background and like having the research behind me to understand how art and architecture blend to, together um some of my favorite artists have done like large-scale murals for big building kind of clients and and big sculptures and things and that that yeah that's where i'd want to go i just want to be able to experience the artwork with other people in a kind of big scale you know it's just more fun, isn't it? When you're like, when you go to a uh, an exhibition and you're kind of like, there's large scale sculptures around and you're like crawling in and out of them and stuff. Like it's, it's just lots it's of like fun. It's a whole experience. experience. Yeah. 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 So that's the big thing I'd like to do next. Who knows if it'll happen. I'm just 
it's you know you don't you have like um things you'd like to do but you're not too focused on like gunning for them because you can you know set yourself up for failure if you do that you just have it in the back of your mind approach clients who work in that industry local councils that kind of thing and and go from there like i did a basketball court mural because i found a client that can accommodate that and approach them and ask them to do it so yeah i'm sure it'll happen <laughs> so i do know that you would love to do some official key art but one thing i've always wondered is you've always been a little bit sort of uh, apprehensive about your own style and how it fits into the pop culture scene do you feel like your style set you back that doesn't make sense let me just say again so i know you'd love to do some official key art as well that's something you'd like to do in the future have you ever felt like your style sort of sets you back in a way in the sense that you know there's not a lot of key art in your style or in any kind of very graphical style at the minute it may set me back in a more general sense but if i do get to work on a on an official key art poster for a film release it'll be one that's so unique to the style that i work in that it'll have more resonance with what i'm doing for my artwork and for the film that i'm going to be representing um that it'll be more it'll be better for it do you know what i mean like i don't want to do official key artwork for the new transformers movies because they're based in realism somewhat realism like you know it doesn't make sense but the but when the right project does come in it'll make complete sense for the style that i've been working in because i'm not trying to branch out to as many different official key art projects as possible i want the right one to come to me it's the best way to work some of the most uh energetic and kind of amazing pieces of key art that i've seen the artist that has made the poster for the film is unique to the film's um what the film is saying right so um that's how i would like to be hired for this for a key art project it wouldn't be in a general sense it would be more specific it would have to be the right project exactly well it sounds to me like you've got a ton of different ideas on your plate to kind of juggle through and you've got a lot of stuff to to work on let me rephrase that <laughs> so it sounds to me like you've got a uh, a lot of ideas for the upcoming year and i'm really excited to see some of that work thank you yeah i've got a lot of ideas but i've also as we spoke about earlier i'm trying to schedule out how i'm working on those ideas in a much more structured and kind of mentally healthy way um so hopefully there'll be a nice structure to how things are made this year and you know that's the thing i'm really working on but thank you so much for taking the time to come to see me and interview me in in real life. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's been great. Well, you know, we're friends in real life anyway, so this has yeah. been a, a really good experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I do want to say before I, before I close off the podcast, mm -hmm. do you have any sort of advice for artists who may be struggling with their own voice? Because that's one thing you've you've been through. Have you got any advice for those people? I think I sound like a broken record with my advice nowadays because I say the same thing every single time which is to make unique work that is not related to intellectual property make work that is unique to you and eventually you'll be able to come back to the intellectual property that you love and you know film posters music album covers whatever and you'll be able to apply that unique mindset on that ip um that is the advice
if you want to work in this industry, it's to make your own work first. Good stuff. <laughs> That's perfect, mate. Thank you for uh, thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to the Poster Spy podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. You can help fund this series directly by supporting us on Patreon, where you'll also be given access to extended versions of each and every episode, discounts with our partners, and a whole lot more. Simply head over to patreon.com slash posterspy. Tiers start from just £2 per month. If you're looking for daily design inspiration, visit posterspy.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Posterspy for all of the latest updates. 